Hey, brother, we're live. All right, we are back. Yeah. All right, we're enjoying some of our uh, good friend, Bane O'Nee, Rebel in the Rubble. Yo, yo, and, uh, check welcome. it out. Look for Bane O'Nee, Rebel. Yeah, welcome back to the Race Brothers podcast. It's good to be here today. I'm here with Yaakov. And um, we're in the week of Yisod leading into Malchus. And I wanted to talk about perceptions you know, when the first time that we opened up our perceptions and how it creates reality. And in the spheros, the idea that Yisod um, encapsulates all the upper spheros as they're entering into the world of Malchus, which is the actual reality. And on a deeper level, that really talks so much about the way that we create our perceptions of reality and maybe even the way that we can actually become partners in creating reality. And Malchus is that reality that we're creating. So I'm super pumped. This is like a topic that has definitely occupied an incredible amount of real estate in my life uh, for the last uh, 20 years almost. I'd probably say 15 years, 15, 20 years. And I'm excited to talk about it today. Dude, sounds like a trip. What I'm going to say is I'm going to have to act as a damper over here because I'm going to make sure you explain these things slowly and clearly so even a fool like me can understand. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so kick us off. You sowed into Malchus yeah. leading so, up to Shavuos. What does you sowed have to do with perceptions, man? That's a good question. Um, I think that on the most basic level, when we're talking about when you want to create your reality and the way, let's say that Hashem created reality is that there are all these upper worlds and all these, like this machinery that's happening. And it's all these machinations of how things are moving in the upper spheres. And it all causes a certain reality to play out in this world that we're living in, in the Malchus. And it slowly reveals itself in our moment, almost like, you know, the computer screen that we're both working off, right? So you have the brain of the computer and then it reveals itself on the screen. But the screen is none other than the physical representation of what's happening behind the scenes, scenes on, of the computer. I, I actually have a, a multiple screen setup. And so my daughter, she came in the other day and she's like, can I just play on this computer? And while you're working on that one, cause I have multiple screens. And I was explaining to her that there's really just one brain to all the, all the screens. The screens are just having, you know, something with the screens. You can either have duplicate displays, you can extend your displays, but that's really what Malchus is. Malchus is none other than that landscape or that, portrayal of what's going on behind the scenes and in the spheros this is this is very much what's happening both on a cosmic level from like a god-based perception and also from our own perceptions of how my life is working that i have all the machinery all the mechanics all the thoughts all the different things that are running around inside of my brain and then when it finally reveals itself in my life that's now how it comes out whether it comes out in my behaviors it becomes out in my uh, thought patterns, uh, and in the, really the way that I make meaning out of my life. Mm, how you communicate with others. Sure. And how I understand what others, you know, when, when I walk down the street and somebody says something to me, the way that I receive it, the way that I, I, I make a story out of the facts, so I make right. meaning. Out so of, how you frame I, your experiences, like... Yeah. And that, and it's, and it's, you know, when you say frame, sometimes it almost sounds a little bit light, but the truth is it's actually quite heavy. It's like, this is not just how you frame your experience. It's really your experience. It's all of the experience that you're having. 
Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So, no, I so think I mean, to me, for, to me, the fr- I mean, I, something that I use in my personal life all the time. You always need to reframe experiences because, I guess we're going to get into this, but we're always only, uh, you know, only looking um, and viewing our our experiences through uh, through one one perspective, one point of view, and uh, and when we get caught up in thinking that that is what happened, and that this is my story, I create a story around a certain perception. And you get caught up and then, then you are, are, are limiting yourself. And, is, and, and when we limit ourselves, so then, uh, you know, obviously that takes away other possibilities and other potentials and it cuts us, cuts us off from expressing our full potential. So we constantly need to reframe everything that happens to us. Right. And I, and I, I agree with you. I think that one of the key elements of being a human in this world is when we can get out of just the experience and trying to get what we're trying to, what we think we want out of our, our moments to when we can actually change our focus to becoming a partner in how we are choosing to relate to reality. Meaning there's one thing where I could just, let's say, you know, let's jump ahead. As a religious Jew, you're just doing what you're supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to put on film, I'm supposed to do these things let's say. And, and when you could just be doing it, but then at some point you realize, wait, I can actually choose what this experience will be for myself. I can become a partner in the story of what life means. And that's when life really becomes so pliable, abstract. I mean, it becomes, it becomes a whole different game, you know, like trying to deal with the frustrations or the pains and the pleasures of life. And it's only going, wait, it's not even about all that. It's about what it all means to me and how I choose to relate to it and how I connect to it. I'll tell you just toning it back a notch. I would love to get into, you know, a little bit of where the whole story started for me, but I think for many people, a visceral experience of this was uh, you remember that audio clip of Yanni and Laurel? Yeah. And there's a few other ones. It was like, you know, there was like a, a sneaker, right? That had like, I think it was like, for some people it was green and white. Some people it was pink and gray. Right. 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 And Those things were going around on social media. Right. And, and it was such a profound experience. That I, I know even for myself who had already been working a lot, I was actually at a, uh, it was a couple of years back and a couple of my friends, we were having like a little birthday party together in Jerusalem. And somebody sent me this message and said, what do you hear? And I laughed. I'm like, it's Yanni. And so one of my other friends, he goes, oh, I know that one. It's Laurel. And, I'm, and we just start laughing. We're like, what are you talking about? I had no idea. It would just like this had just hit. It was getting, you know, hitting everybody's phones. And, and it was almost absurd that, I could hear one thing and my friends hearing something else. And I think we were kind of split like 50-50 in the room and we all couldn't believe that the other person was actually, you know, relating to this experience as something else. Like, you don't really hear that. Like, you're just messing with me, right? And they're like, no, you're you're like, and it's this point when, oh my God, we really experience reality very differently. Now, we share so many shared experiences as humans that, okay, like I, I should know what you're talking about, but this was something so out there. And then suddenly you realize, wait, how does an animal experience? When I feel love, how do you feel love? When I'm scared, how do you feel scared? 
I remember as a kid, I must have been in class and I probably spent hours switching eyes, trying to figure out if my eyes both saw the same color. And the truth is they don't. They don't. <laughs> they're, they're slightly off. Like one, I don't know, it's like the red and green or I don't know exactly how it, the red and blue, I don't know what the colors are, but I know that one of them has a little bit brighter. You also have experienced that. Yeah, I think everybody does. I think, but you, or maybe I'm just projecting my perceptions to everyone else. No, but I've heard plenty of people uh, express it. Actually, just the other day, my kids were, one of my kids was sitting there going, <laughs> hey, it's different colors. Right. <laughs> and I think, it's, I think it's such an incredible experience when we, can, when we can do that because suddenly within ourselves we can feel that difference of experience. Being like, hey, there's multiple ways that I can experience this reality. Yeah, I remember as a kid um, driving on a long highway trip with uh, with the family. I remember sitting with, near Abba, and he was, and and we were talking about, we were looking ahead. You know, you look ahead on the highway, and you see things. They look a certain way, and then you come closer, you see what it really is. And I remember Abba talking about that aha moment when you like you you think something is something, and then suddenly it goes. You go aha. It's not that. It's really this. Right. Uh, you know, where mirages, when you drive on the road and it looks like there's water on the roads, so you see the mirage. Right. So I remember from a young age being interested in, in, in seeing things from a different point of view and always looking and saying, well, this is what I think, but wouldn't it be cool if there was another way of looking at this? Or even going to like, um, going to a science museum, there's an exhibit that when you stand one from one angle, you see one thing and you, t- you go around the other side, you see a completely different thing. I've right. always loved those things from a young Yeah, I age. think the classic one was like the circle and the square, right? Like from one side, you're seeing a circle and from as you go around, you slowly see it and then you see a square. I don't remember the particulars. I just remember the, right. you know, no, I'm saying there's, being there's, weird. There's, also, there's gorgeous artwork I've seen, like, you know, where, you know, gorgeous like wire frames of like elephants yeah, turning yeah. into drafts and there's incredible things with this but the, the w- when it hits you that it's like oh man there's another way to really look at this world it's it's the the experience is well for me it was was uh, life-changing yeah and it's and it's incredibly important especially if you want to have a relationship with another human being you have to be aware that whatever you see from your point of view is definitely not what they see. Especially when it comes to perceptions of how to define experiences or, or how people or how you relate to an experience. It's like we could have a, we could have an experience at some point in our life, right? You, you go through an experience and, and it becomes a certain story in your head. Like this is what happened and it becomes a part of your story. And, you know, and, and very often, we have these defining moments in our lives that uh, we go on for years afterwards. We'll tell the same story over and over again. And you might be telling, well, maybe not a false story, but it's only your perception of it. And you might be right. building a whole relationship with what happened and it, def- and it changes how you relate to the world later on. And it's completely, uh, a, or it's a very narrow view perhaps of what happened. You know, you can have a long lasting enmity with a person or a strained relationship because of a situation you were in where you. All right. So we got chopped off there, but I, I was middle of a whole rant about how limiting our perception can change our, our whole, tra- the whole trajectory of our life, of our relationships. And uh, anyway, but 
let's go back to where what you were talking about. Again, perceptions and how important they are and the awareness of other sides. So, again, let's go back to – can we bring this back to uh, Yisod and Malchus? Yeah. So I think that in, in, in the spheros, what we Yisod is, is what we call kal, right? In, in, in we say in uh, – Every morning in davening, l'cha Hashem ha-gedula v'agvura v'ateferes v'anetzach v'ahoid. And those are the five middle spheros. Dealing with this world and the spheros ha-binyan, these lower seven spheros that we're mainly focused on. I don't want to turn this into a lecture or anything. But, um, but the idea is that, that, that we, once we list the different spheros, then we say, ki chol v'ashamayim Right and so kichal that idea of kol that it all comes together, feeding in. Yesod is like that funnel, excuse me, that funnel that brings all the the the, the machinations of the brain, all of the things of how do I understand things, how do I relate to the world, till finally now I'm actually ha- perceiving and experiencing this moment. Now, and, and like you said before, you can change your experience of a moment. Like many times, you might be telling over a story that happened to you. But it's not really what happened. It's your story about what happened. Because what, re- what, what really did happen? It's really hard to know. Sometimes you can have two people in the same experience share this. I'll tell you, even though we grew up a lot with this, when it really took hold of me in a way where I felt like I could change my life was when I read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, which personally has probably been the most life-changing book of my life. Um, I loved it and I've read it numerous times and it, from the first time that I read it, it grabbed me and it opened me up. And so even though maybe other things have take up a lot more space now in my life, but that was a clear focus and like directional change that, that, that gave me in my life. The first time it took me six months to read it for the first time. And only because I kept on working through it and I'd work through each chapter and then re go back and read it from the beginning and then work on it. And I wouldn't move forward on it until I felt like I really had acquired that thing. It was, you know, it was my time during yeshiva and it was like an intensive workplace and we, we did it with, you know, a few guys even, and we would sit around at night and talk about the concepts and the ideas and even in the groups that I run, um, one of the first things that we really get into is this idea of perceptions because you can't really talk about anything in life, in, in, in avoda, in who we are until we realize, hey, I'm looking through a glass. I'm seeing things a certain way and, and this is my reality and there's other realities. And I, like, I think it's the first stage in Avoda, there's this great picture um, that, that he has in there of, of this old lady and young lady. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture because it really opens up your perceptions. I don't know. Maybe we should have to try to get it on here to, uh, to experience it. Maybe we'll have to share it at some point. Or you could read the book because it's a phenomenal book. I've even given it out. Right now? Huh? Yeah, I've even, I've even, right sure. I've even um, bought and shared that book with many people. Uh, you know, I've given out, uh, I don't know, probably over 20 copies of the book to, to different people. I used to just buy tons of copies of it online when I was in the States. 
you know, you could buy them for a buck, a buck 50, and then you just give them out because they're just phenomenal. They really, they really can give somebody their life back. And that's really the koach of perceptions. You know, the koach of perceptions is when, you know, working through these seven weeks of sphera, these weeks of building our perceptions, building up the story. What do I want my story to be? How, how has my story been told up to date? And how do I get involved in this story process? That way I can be open to receiving the Torah, right? I mean, you can't, you can't just get the Torah because the Torah is just this, it's this infinite wisdom brought into some finite expressions. But until you're able to open yourself up and be able to be a vessel to receive this incredible wisdom, you, you can literally take it and twist it any which way. And I mean, Chazal say that. They say it either can be the elixir of life or, or the poison of death because it's so powerful and it really, it really is up to you. And it's like, you know, like Torah is compared to water and it, it, it will fill whatever shape, vase or pitcher you put it in, it'll fill to that place. Mm -hmm. You have that picture? You want to share it? No. Okay. So anyway, it's really, it's more powerful when you, you know, when you have it in a group paradigm and you can, you can uh, show people how they're preconceived to see one thing or another. It's more helpful. So. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is, and that's that's really what we, you know. What we do a lot in the groups is uh, is is working on this, like you know, working on understanding my perceptions, your perceptions, and how can we open up our story to begin to see things differently. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when you say, you know, in order to receive the Torah, you have to first be able. You have to be able to be open to different perceptions. You know, I mean, I, I remember hearing. One to Ramosha Weinberger, he said over from Rav Cook, when it says Derech Eretz Kadma la Torah, Derech Eretz comes before Torah. Derech Eretz, he was talking about, you know, because the Torah is the Sam Chaim or Sam Ava, so if someone is emotionally unhealthy or it's unbalanced or he's not, he's not a healthy person, a healthy individual, so then the Torah will come and just make him, it will just, it will just add to his twisting. Right. Just use the Torah for his unhealthy in his own unhealthy way but when a person is healthy he has derech eretz and in other words derech eretz means how can we connect to one another i mean right derech eretz means so many different things and sometimes derech eretz means parnasa sometimes derech eretz means you know the way interpersonal relationships but it really all comes down to the same thing because parnasa is all about interpersonal relationships and it's the only way we have an economy and a civilization is because we have rules and boundaries of how we treat one another and we learn to relate to one another that's the only way you can have a healthy a healthy economy and you can only make money is if like you know there's some kind of uh some kind of common common tongue and agreement that we're able to you know i'll you know i'll my tomatoes and your cucumbers, we have to agree on the value and, right. you know, we have to agree on each other's perception of the value as well. So if you're going to come and Derek Haritz Kadmila Torah means you have to be able to be open up to other, the way other people see things. You have to be able to be a person who can have a relationship with other. And the only way to do that is to be, instead of, it's humility, you have to be humble and recognize that my, the way I see things is not, is not, is not everything. I don't know everything. I'm open to seeing things differently. And if you're open to seeing things differently, then now you're able to start on a journey of coming close to knowing God because God is, no matter how much you know God, he's always greater and there's another level. 
like Rabbi Nachman says about Nasev and Nishma, which is, you know, it's right here. Nasev and Nishma is always, there's always a level of things that are Nasev within our grasp, like we can express it because we understand it enough to express it. And then Nishma is something that we need to come to understand. It's a, it's a next level. And so there's a Nasa, that's something that we have. And then, there's, and then once it, the next Nishma comes in, once we understand another level, another level of godliness, another level of what God wants from us, another level of perception, that comes into our level of Nasa. And we have a new Nishma, a new higher level of, of something to understand. And even, you know, even in, in religion, in, you know, sometimes religion can be so dogmatic, but that's what I love about Yiddishkeit is that it, if, if you become dogmatic in your Yiddishkeit, then you'll never grow because there's always more. You know, I've, you've, you've said this so many times. I remember you, you talk about how much you love Chumash and we've been learning Chumash since we were little kids. And if, uh, you know, it's like if, if we get stuck in our five-year-old perception of the Chumash and the stories, so then we'll never go anywhere, but it's, it's endless. Right. And the same chumash that we learn when we're five, we learn when we're 85, and, and it's, it's not the same chumash at all, even though it is exactly the same. Yeah. That's very powerful. I was, I mean, when you were talking, I had so many thoughts because you, you just expressed so many beautiful things. Just to go back to one of the first things that you were talking about, which was about like being that kli, right? Like even that, you know, daracharis, meaning all these different, forms, you know, Parnassa, economy, etc. I think all, even on, on also on a very simple level for the human, right? If you, like, you can work on all these, you know, you could be a brilliant mind and you could be so adept and you could be so enlightened, but maybe if you just haven't eaten enough food or slept well enough, you're like fighting an uphill battle just to be kind to yourself and those around you. And all you do is, and then you eat the proper things and you give yourself the proper nourishment and suddenly being a mensch is just so much easier and your mind is able to expand so much more. It's interesting. Like even, even, you know, many masters have thought like, you know, the path of, of, you know, self-affliction, fasting um, and those types of things are good for some people, but they're not necessarily good for everybody because you can really achieve so much more by taking good care of your body and then using that avoda in a proper way. The Baal Shem Tov spoke about this. Rabbi Nachman spoke about this. So I think right, it's, no like a key, it's, like a, it's like a key thing of like, simply you want to be a vessel, take care of that vessel. You know, the malchus. Right, but I was talking about more in the, in the, in the area we were discussing of the area of perceptions. That's exactly what I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in the area of perceptions. When you're per, like, like the difference, it might be the same machine, right? Same Yehuda, but my perceptions of any given situation might actually be extremely altered by whether I had breakfast. Right. That's true. <laughs> and it's like, wait, like, but that seems so insignificant, you know, on the, on the world level of like, you know, the, all the cosmos are moving and, and you're having this deep conversation and yet you're getting annoyed with someone because you simply just haven't eaten breakfast. You're thirsty. You haven't slept. You didn't sleep well last night. Like it's crazy, but that's really this idea is that simple, derech eretz Torah. Like you need to be able to develop your perceptions and develop your vessel to be able to have, to be able to, to properly receive and to properly understand or 
yeah, and develop your ability to be flexible and to hear different sides and to know that whatever we see is not the end of the story. Right. It's incredible. It's fantastic. When did you have, have that, that type of moment? I know for me, even though I had the different moments, but then it was like the book, the, the Stephen Covey really like blasted me to another level. Did you have any moments like that? Um, yeah, <laughs> I had many different moments in my life. Um, I, okay. So basically when I was younger, I, I had, um, I had various psychedelic experiences, which, which opened me up to see that very clearly that this, just the way I was seeing things was not necessarily um, the way I always see it. And, and I could walk down the seat. I would walk down the same street that I'd walked down maybe hundreds of times before. And suddenly I'm noticing things that I never noticed before. And it's blowing my mind going, that's always been there, but I've never looked at it before. Why? Because I don't know if you've ever read the doors of perception by Aldous Huxley. Yeah. That was, I mean, when I was a teenager, I read that book and I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And the way he, way he describes is that our brain is actually um, a constrictive or parts of our brain are, are constricting, um, are, are constrictive on our consciousness because there's so much input constantly into our brains all the time that if we were to be able to be conscious of all of it, we wouldn't be able to function. Right. So we naturally evolve and the brain, you know, it, we only notice things that are, that are weird or that are out of, um, out of the ordinary, kind of like news, like what's newsworthy? Newsworthy is something which is strange, but it's not newsworthy. You know, man bites dog is news. Dog bites man is not news. So we kind of don't notice so many things that are going on. But so that experience of being able to be in the same place that I've been so many times before, but suddenly now, because my mind was open for whatever reason, but once you learn to recognize, hey, I have so much more power. I, I can notice things differently. I can take a different tack. I can look at things differently. It changed my whole way of relating to the world. Now, obviously, you can't always go around tripping out and staring at and like, you know, with your head up in the clouds. But the ability to do that definitely was a very formative experience in my life of suddenly going, hey, not everything is the way I've always seen it. There's so many more different angles to take. Right, right. And, you know, it's, it's so powerful what you're saying. And, I, and I, I, I deeply, deeply agree. And I think that, you know, people in general need to, need to experience things. They need to have some type of life in, in different mind states. Um, I think that in, in Yiddishkeit, especially, so much of Judaism sometimes can become, like you mentioned before, like you can get into the religious practice side of things. And, and for many people, they can kind of fall into a, you know, I guess the Svarim called it hergel, right? Where you become just so accustomed to doing certain things, you just do it out of rote with the same thought processes that you had yesterday. Right, we know one of the great things about Aaron Akoin is that you know he was he was such a profound human being that every time that it was Malamich Loshina that he when he experienced the same spiritual experience, it was brand new to him every time. It was a new experience. It didn't become like, oh, I'm used to it. 
On the other hand, like you said, you do want to be able to build on past experiences and you can't always walk around with your head in the clouds. And I think this is that, that incredible, um, you know, uh, what was that, that, that psychedelic experience that Yaakov Avinu had, which is really in the formation of all of us, which is being that Sulam Mutzav Arts of Arashim Shemaima, being that ladder with his feet on the ground and his head in the clouds and being able to synthesize these two, these two sides. And so back to what I was saying about religious practice is that we need to, there's, there's two sides to, to religion let us say, or to spirituality in the Jewish sense. One side is the law and doing those things and, and keeping those practices and, and, you know, and keeping the rule book, so to speak. And the, the other framework. one is the, the, right, the framework. And the other one side is the experience. And if somebody, sadly, imagine, you know, how sad would it be if somebody was having a Seder night experience or and a prayer experience and a, a, a Sunday morning, you know, chumash learning experience and they all were taking place in the same mind state it would be a travesty right because <laughs> they're not meant right. to all be experienced the same way like you're not meant to work and dive in and spend time with your kids like you need to be able to it, 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 there's no other word for it other than it's just sad it's almost like you, you'd want to cry for such a person because life experience is so much more colorful and so much more vibrant and so much more out there. Like when you're sitting with, with, with a, holding your child or someone that you love, your, your, all of your chemical reactions must change. And it's going to give you a different way of experiencing reality. And when you're going through pain, it's going to elicit another response. And we need to open this up. And, and in, in, in Judaism, in, in Yiddish guy, I think this is, absolutely essential and this is so much to do with perceptions and understanding etc yeah and it's and it's like and it's like we've talked about in the past also which is why seder night the first thing you do is drink a big fat cup of wine which is supposed to be you know have a nice amount of alcohol in it not that you're supposed to get drunk or anything but it's just because you need to open up a little bit and sometimes Clearly, over here, according to many Rishonim, it needs to be Yayan Hamashakar. Hamashakar, yeah, and it has to be, you know, according to some Rishonim, it has to be at least 12 percent. I mean, there's different, there's different shitot for sure, but um, but yeah, but you you need to open up, even it's just it's a little bit, a little bit of an aid to now open up. And I, I, I've noticed it, it's not, and it's not about uh. It's not about and It's not. It's not. It's not the Indian here. It's not the Indian bechlau. But uh, but just I've noticed it myself. Sometimes erev Pesach is like it's a, it could be intense. It's busy. You're running around, and then you shul and you, you come down. You sit, and I've noticed like sometimes it can be tense. There's all the preparations and the kids and the this, and you sit down and you make kiddush and you drink that cup of wine and suddenly like it, it lets go a little bit and it says okay. I'm ready to sit back and uh, and and uh, open up a little bit and have a seder now, you know. Yeah, I you know I, I would like to add, and this is I think a little bit of, like a very deep teaching, you know. They they say about Sfiras Omer, right? That you don't count the fiftieth day. Why don't you count the fiftieth day? So you know the Shla and many others talk about this idea how the fiftieth really is all of it. You can't really even count the 50th because the 50th is all 49. And in general, um, in a lot of deeper Jewish thought, the idea of 49 is the complete cycle 
of the full relationship of this world, which is the number seven. Seven is the full, you know, um, expression within nature. And then seven times seven is the full expression within nature. And then 50th is the Yovel, the Jubilee, that, that brings everything back together. It makes a oneness out of all the 49, of all, all the breakdown. And I think that one of the experiences is that your experience by Har Sinai and your experience with Torah is directly related to your perceptions that you will become part of by working on yourself as a vessel during these 49 days. And whatever you come with, that's what your 50th day is. So you can't say, I'm now going to count the 50th day because by nature, that 50th, is going to be what you put into it. Your malchus, your reality, that malchus is that 50th, is going to be whatever you made. Meaning if you worked on the stories in your mind, if you worked on understanding your perceptions, if you worked on expanding your consciousness and experiencing different mind states, then when you come to this 50th, you will have it there. But if you haven't practiced it, you haven't opened yourself to it, that's it. You know, meaning, and, and I think that's really what we're trying to work on and, and get to. Right. What does the right. Sinai experience mean to you? Yep. It's interesting. I, I, can we pause for one second? Sure. So I've been reading this book recently called uh, The Master and His Emissary by, uh, Cambridge professor, Ian McGilchrist. Anyway, one, he brings some, there's so many interesting things in this book, but one of them specifically related to what we're talking about is, um, is that um, there's actually in sub-Saharan Africa, there's a form of communication using drum beats, uh, which is called, they've called it, scientists have studied, have called it rhythmic drum telegraphy. And basically, they, they can send detailed messages over long distances. And what happens is it's not, about, it's not about mimicking the sound patterns of words or phrases. What it does is the way, that, the way the beats are created, the person who hears it recreates it in his own body. And the dance itself is the message. And as they... <laughs> they actually are conscious of doing this or they're just sharing like cultural experiences through drum beats that are being passed around. I'm not sure, but the way he describes it, he says, here, the reception of these drum or tom-tom rhythms is accompanied by a vision of the drummer's movement. And is this movement a kind of dance which is visualized and understood? Communication occurs because the listener inhabits the body of the person who drums and experiences what it is that the drummer is experiencing. Okay. So it's like an embodied form of communication. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so I, before we even go on, I just need to clarify. There's two things here. One is, are they consciously sending messages or is it just being sent and therefore they're sharing this experience? No, they're consciously sending the messages. They're consciously sending. Okay, that's really yeah, cool. It's a way of communication. Okay, so this is, okay, this is going to be a little tripped out, but this is definitely... I'm so I'm so happy you just brought that up because I've been tripping on these thoughts and it, I didn't have a good way of expressing it, but you just gave such a beautiful vessel for this idea. Hashem 
on a basic level, I want to come back to this soon, right? Sinai. What does Sinai mean to me and why is my life so incredibly focused and I'm, I'm living and doing certain things in my life that if it was just me, I would definitely not be doing. I'm, I'm be honest right now. We talk, I talk this with my family all the time. We sit Friday night before Kiddush every once in a while, you know, we'll, we'll talk, you know, say something nice before Kiddush or whatever, just to tune us in. Sometimes I'll be like, guys, why are we here? Why don't we go out to the movies? Why don't we go travel somewhere? And my kids like, look at me at least the first bunch of times as they growing up, they're like, huh? I'm like, why are we here? Like, I don't, why am I, why are we all dressed in like nice clothes sitting around the beautifully set table? Why did we work all Friday to get ready? Like, why, why is there a cup of wine full? Like, what are we doing here? And then it's like, well, we're choosing to be Jews. We're choosing to do this. Why? Because of Sinai. Okay. Now let's go. I want to come back to that idea of what's driven, driving it. But what you just said, what if right now, the experience of putting on tefillin is a communication that when you do it, if you're open to it, you can actually receive the communication that was given from Sinai. Right? When you're keeping Shabbos, when you, even when you, when you engross, this is mamish like the, the, in the Svarim when they teach, when you're engrossed in a sugya of Torah and your mind becomes part of it. There's a beautiful, beautifully written piece, and maybe I should even break it out now, from the Pia Setsna about the beauty of learning Torah when your whole experience, your mind state alters, your physical relationship, your, your, your whole experience becomes so altered by the piece that you're learning, and you become transported, and you experience something like you just said. You experience something that was sent from another person in another place an experience of what happened in the yeshiva that of Abaya and Rava and now is happening with you and your Chavrusa. The thought patterns, experiences that Tosfus and Rashi were arguing about as they poured over the same words that you are struggling over and that experience now becomes your experience. Yeah, I, I, this, I think this is one of the meanings of Nasev and Ishma. Is that the message is in the is embedded within the action. The meaning is embedded within the action. Now, so often people say, like, why would I do something that makes no sense to me? And that's a great, that's a very valid point. It's like, you know, people often complain that Judaism is like it's outdated and doesn't make any sense, and it's just a bunch of rituals. It's a it's a ritualized religion, but. But but maybe the maybe the spirituality is is latent within the action, and you can only tap into it through it's embodied. It becomes embodied in certain in certain ways. Yeah, it's such a powerful idea because we can open ourselves up and realize that you know, and I think this is how we always speak about Torah is that you need to let go of yourself. Like if everything, if your whole relationship with Torah, if you come to Torah as if I'm going to understand this, if you don't have the humility to be able to receive, to be a receiver, there's nothing to even talk about. Like because, because we're talking about things that you need to be open to it. If you're just trying to, to hold it and to grab it and to control it and to how it fits into my mind, you're, you're cutting out you're literally cutting out 95% of the experience because you're, you know, like Yehuda race and his brain and the amount of time that he's on this earth is so puny 
that to think that my experience is valuable or meaningful is almost a joke unless I recognize that I'm part of something bigger. You know, it's funny, and this is something that was, that was drummed into us as children. How many times do you remember when you're a kid and you're learning something and you say, this doesn't make any sense? And which Rebbe was it who always said to us, it's not that it doesn't make sense, you don't understand it. Right. So don't say it doesn't make sense, say I don't understand. And it was drummed into us at a very young age that right. because just because you don't understand doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. Right. Two I, different things. There was a class, there's a classic story. Uh, you know, in the Hasidic circles, they say it with the Chassid and the Litvak, but in, in every circle, they say it in their own way. They choose their own, uh, um, I don't know, what, what do you call it? The, <laughs> your own, what, what's the, the guy who's the... Uh, antagonist. The antagonist. No, but you know, it's the guy who, who, there's another word for it, where, you know. The foil. The, gen- the foil, thank you. Um, so about so we'll tell that way just because it's funny um, to hear it that way. But anybody wants to take it, choose your own foil. Um, so there's you know this this chassid and this litvak, they're chavrusas and you know learning in the space medrash, and and they're struggling, struggling over this taisvus. And the next morning they come in and the litvak is sitting there, bleary eyed, not able to understand. And like, and the chas is smiling, happy, and goes, and so the chas looks at him and says, what's with you? And he goes, what do you mean? How could I sleep last night? Taisvis didn't make sense. I can't blight, Taisvis can't blight with Akasha. Like, it was Akasha on Taisvis. Like, if, I didn't know what to do with Taisvis. Taisvis was going to go, like, you know, going to be dead if, 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 it, if we didn't, if there's Akasha on Taisvis' understanding. And the other guy looked, he goes, I don't get it. He goes, it's Pashat. I didn't understand Tysus, but Tysus didn't have any issues. Tysus was just fine. And I think it is a very powerful experience. Although there's a beauty to both, right? There's, there really is. Even though, even though he's a foil, that idea of like, I can't let Tysus be this way, it's because it's real. It's not just a story. It's not just a, a, you know, something that happened in the past. It's right now. Tysus is alive. How can you go? How can you close the Gemara if you if you, if Tysus's question and answer doesn't make sense, it, it, I, I, I'm in the experience. And if you're in the experience, that means that you are, that, that experience was transmitted to you. And now your experience of that experience, you can't stop. You are Tysus. Tysus is you and you can't understand it. Push it. You can't sleep. So I love the story from, from both, from both sides. And, it, and, and it's true. It's so true. You know, Abba used to also do that. You remember when, when he would say like, so, you know, you'd ask, you know, Saying at the Vartor, you'd ask the question, all right, and then he'd, he'd pick it apart. And then when it came time for you to say answer, you'd say, So, and the answer is, you always say, An answer. Right. <laughs> and I think it is. It's true. As a kid, I don't think I appreciated it as much as I do now that, that appreciation of it's much bigger. It's much right. bigger. It still annoys me when someone goes, This is the shot. I go, This, this is the shot. <laughs> This is one way of looking at it. It's yeah, ape shot. Could be. Right. And that's really, and that's really what, what, what Tyra is, is that, you know, until you're ready to be able to let go, until you're ready to be able to be humble, right? You know, this is the classic Torah that they teach. I think every kid knows why did, why did Hashem give the Torah on Har Sinai? Because it was the smallest of all the mountains. 
The Torah says be humble in everything you do. If you're tall or smart or beautiful, it's not because of you. All the good things that we have come from above. And on of an on 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 Why was the Torah given in the midbar? Because the midbar is an empty space ready to receive. This is it. And 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 the more that the more that we can actually appreciate more varied perceptions, the more we can realize that those are also just another perception. The goal isn't to have all the perceptions. The goal is to open ourselves up. The goal is to open ourselves up to the fact that there are multiple, excuse me, perceptions. And there is greater experience to be had than just the experience that I'm living within right now. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we can, uh, I mean, I, I definitely would like to, to explore that more with you, that idea of, of us, the way when we're experiencing things now, experiencing putting on tefillin, it's, it's a message from the past. But I, I also would like to talk about Har Sinai. Um, you know, Har Sinai is an experience that happened so long ago and it's not, it's not around now, but yet it so completely compels you, me, and, and, and many, many other Jews in the world to live a certain life and a certain reality that you probably wouldn't be doing. Like, I'll, for example, one of the things that I know, I would love to explore the world. And if I was just me and I didn't have, you know, let's say, if I didn't have Sinai, I would, I'd be, you know, interested. Is there a purpose to the world? Is there meaning to the world? But to even dare to say that there's such a thing as God that is so beyond my, my, my levels of perception and understanding I mean, he's, there's no way that I can understand God. There's no way that I can really understand what is happening. He's so much bigger. And anytime that we try to make a certain like, oh, I understand, you know, this and that and the other, like we don't. There's, there's no, you know, we can, you, there's no map that you can make and say, this is how God exists. And this is how God works. Because every map that's ever been made pretty, like seemingly has been broken. Well, it's really because he's the one who made the maps. You can't, you can't understand the map maker from the maps. It's like when you're within the system, you can't understand the programmer. Right. So, so to even dare to think that we could is absurd. Except for this one mind-blowing experience that happened 3,300 years ago that completely has changed the story, right? This one moment where Hashem entered and revealed himself to humanity, right? We don't believe in God because Avram Avinu found a personal experience of God. We don't believe it that Yitzchak and Yaakov also found their own experience and made a chutam ashulash. We believe in Hashem because of Sinai. And that has been an unparalleled event in history, 
an unparalleled claim. No one has ever made such a claim like that. No other religion has ever made a claim that a, an entire nation had an experience of the divine together as one. And that moment is what drives my life and why I run my life according to a system of rules and regulations that I would definitely not do otherwise. I would love, listen, I, I'm definitely, I'm not into like exploring all types of foods. I, I can't imagine myself eating like all these weird bugs and things, but there are definitely some things that I would love to do that I don't do on a very simple level. I would love to hunt and kill myself my own deer elk or something and eat it that night fresh kill roasted over you know a fire that i hunted that i tracked like that is something and you know and it's probably just uh, you know glorified because of because of the books that i've read and things like that but that is definitely something that excites me or to visit different places in the world we're going to start getting into our top 10 list of avers that we want to do I'm definitely down. You should, by the way, this is also something that Abba used to always talk about, right? Abba used to always say like, yeah, wouldn't it be amazing to taste this or to try that? But why don't we do it? Simply because Hashem told us not to. And because that Sinai experience, like I live, I'll be honest with you, this is something, one of my friends recently turned to me. He's like, Yehuda, you're so strange. I was like, what? Like, what is it this time? And he goes, he goes, you're always talking about Sinai. Like as if like it's like this moment that happened to you. I'm like, it did. It, it's, it's the most elemental part of my existence. Like it's even more elemental than my relationship with Hashem. It's like that is what makes me even dare to have a relationship with Hashem. It's what gives me the, the story, which is why, you know, this Messiah that I'm holding on to is way more important than any information. Right, and I think, Right. And, it, and it's really, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's not just because we had uh, different information given to us. It's like, new, you know, new, new whatever has come to light, man. Right. Right? It's not what it was about. It wasn't just like, oh, we know something that people don't know. It was our perceptions were t- completely shredded and completely blown to bits. And we were enlightened to a completely different perception of the world that everything here is... Uh, that everything is God, that, that, that all of this is, you know, is some kind of, you know, strange matrix, which is why we all died at Sinai, you know, in a sense, because, you know, what, when you have a clear vision of there is only one and there is nothing else, so then you don't exist because you're just subsumed in the oneness. Right, and on some level, when your mind is completely open to a new reality, that old part of you can be called dead. And yeah. I'm... And, not to say that one shot is is denying the other, but we we completely entered a new reality. And and the truth is that as a nation we did, as a spiritual beings we did, but also in today's world, right? The fact that I live in a world that a Sinai happened without the spiritual mis- mystical parts, which are very real, and we'll and we'll talk about. But even on the most physical of physical levels, Malchus Sheba Malchus. Like to be in a world where such an experience happened is perception changing. It's actually more than perception changing. I, I like to say, you know, we, we, there's a beautiful thing that we say many times. We say, Hashem Tsuri Vigayali. Hashem is my rock and my redeemer. The idea of Hashem being our Tsur, our rock, is, is, um, 
throughout throughout the Hillim, right? It's it's a it's a known a known line. But the word sur, which means rock, also means perception, right? Because sur comes from the word yitzira, which means form or perception, right? The form that something takes is really your perception of that form. Right, a tzayar is an artist. A tzayar is an artist, exactly. So when we say, Hashem Tzuri, you are my rock, you are the one that formed me, but even more is that my perceptions need to start somewhere. There needs to be something that I can, I need to find some bedrock that I can build all of my experience on. Hashem, you are my tsuri. You are the rock of my perceptions that all of my possible perceptions can be built on this idea. This is bedrock. Sinai is my bedrock. And right, ultimately, it's, I mean, I think ultimately it's meant to be the bedrock of all Jewish experience and all of Jewish life. Right? Right, and that's why, and that's why it's so phenomenal that we're, we've been, we had this insane, you know, Seder night experience that we all had this year very, you know, with our own families. But then we're counting, we're counting down our, the, mo, the days we're building up from our exodus, which is like, boom, Yitziat Mitzrayim, open up your perceptions. Let's, let's work on it to the Sinai experience, which is by Har Sinai on the 50th day. That's going to be, that's literally going to implant bedrock into your mind that now everything can be built on this. I mean, it, it already happened, but it also happens and it can happen again and again, year after year, we, we can build on this incredible bedrock. And, and it's funny, it's, it's, it's funny to me that some people find it funny that I think about this so often. I think as Jews, this is why we say Shema twice a day. Everything about Judaism is all about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Yitzhak Mitzrayim. We say it again and again. Yep. And you'd see us from Shrayim and the Torah. It's all one thing. It's not uh, two separate things. It's, you know, we're in Cholomoid of, uh, of Atzeret right now. Right. All leading up to it. And I mean, ultimately also, it's like, you know, even from a very practical, when you start to, you know, as a young person, when you start to say, like, what is Yiddishkeit all about? It just comes down very practically. There, if you don't discuss Sinai and you don't discuss what our Masora is and something that, which is what we're meant to do by the Seder, you know, Abbas, like Abbas says every year, we're sitting here at the Seder because my father sat me down and gave this to me and gave it over to me and his father gave it over to him and so on and so forth, all the way back to Sinai, all the way right. back to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, all the way back to the people who experienced it themselves. And it's been an unbroken chain. So if we don't have that, and if we don't have a sense of uh, you know, a sense of there were people who are at Har Sinai who passed it on and on and on and on. So then there is no Yiddishkeit. There is nothing. Like why? Why? Why have anything? It's all meaningless without that. Right, and and it's, that's what's also so powerful is that the story of Sinai doesn't mean anything without the continuous Masora that we have of being passed down, the unbroken chain. Because right. or else, like, it's just a story. There are many mythical stories in the world. Who says this is a true and what is true and what is myth? What is reality? But the the, the Masora, and this is why, like, you know, the Chevel Nachlaschan, that rope of our inheritance, that unbroken, that we're just carrying it as a nation. You know, uh, there are some there are some people that, you know, have that rope, but and many, many, many do, but that 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 as a nation, we have a national heritage that has been unbroken family right and even even our, our our nation the jewish people remember remember uh 
I forgot who, who was the first one to bring this up to me. It's like, you know, what is the Jewish people? Are they a religion? Are they a nation? Are they a tribe? Are they a family? Are they a we race? We discussed this on a podcast recently. <laughs> Did we? I think so. I don't remember. Hmm. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember sometimes what, what, we're, what we're podcasting or what we're just us schmoozing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's an incredible thing. We're, we're, we're a family of different races no pun intended, uh, but, but, you know, but different colors, different flavors, different styles, different ideas, different culture, but we're one, but we also share this one line that is unbroken, that core. And, and I, you know, I was even talking to somebody recently and telling like, strip away all the, all the extra, like get back to the core. You know, sometimes people like they get into it. Oh, and who was the Baal Shem Tov anyway, you know? And who was the Vilna Gaon? And why should I listen to this guy? Why don't I just pass him from the Rambam? And why don't I just learn a Gemara and keep what the Gemara said? Like, fine. Before you even get to all that, strip it all away. Let's get down to bedrock. Once you're on bedrock, then you can build anything. Then you can understand. But people that show up and they try to create a reality, and they try to build a story to fit some map that they have and we're all doing that on some extent but we need to get to some bedrock right i think back to you know like the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about like being able to share an idea like you were talking about in relationships like the only way that you can really be healthy in a relationship is if you can understand that this person's experience is not my experience but we have to have some way of sharing an experience i love to use there's the mirror neurons. We know we have mirror neurons in our brains, and when you see someone act a certain way, it fires up. What does that mean? It means there are neurons in your brain that mirror when you see someone else, and it creates an ex- as if you're experiencing it in your in your own mind. They fire up to. Uh, you know, that's where empathy comes from. That's how we can relate to one another. Wow. So and this is so this is like when you're watching a movie you you kind of superimpose yourself into it um yeah i think so wow i just read that in this book as well (laughs) that's really powerful i mean you know there are so many mind-blowing stories about tzaddikim how when they saw a reality happen outside of them they felt that that experience was not only meant for them, but it was their experience, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's, you know, the Baal Shem Tov says, if, you know, if a tzaddik sees a certain experience, it means that there's, you know, if you see something wrong in someone else, it means that it's within you, that issue. Not just, and, and on this level, that's a mind-blowing new angle. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things and we've talked about a lot of different ideas over here, but I want to bring it back because we started off saying is we're going to talk about Yisod and Malchus. So can you take what we've been discussing and wrap it up what you meant by relating them to Yisod and Malchus? 
uh, yeah, I think we could try at least. First of all, Yisodin Malchus is so much bigger than than anything that we have ever spoken about together. Um, it, it, you know, like it's it's these these are like epic concepts that are huge. You know, I mean, so I'm still exploring them. They're phenomenally well, sure. interesting, and it'll happen forever. But in terms yeah. of just relating what we said and putting it in the map, because for us, it's yeah. a, it, you know, it's all about creating a map. And then within that map, like, look at a map. There's New York, there's London, there's Jerusalem. It's like, it's not just a dot on a map. New York is a big place with millions and millions of people and so much going on there. And Jerusalem is, but still, we could say, like, this belongs in Jerusalem and this is in London. The Statue of Liberty is in New York and the Kotel is here and, yeah. So let's so just just to wrap up what we've been talking about over here in in a in a, in a nice simplified way is that malchus is the reality that you're experiencing. It's the way that you relate to that reality, it's the way that you're interacting, it's the way that you're dealing with it on a moment by moment basis. What it means to you. When you see something what it means to you. Yesod encapsulates all that's above, everything from that funnel and up. And it's about all the things that are feeding into this moment that are making this moment what it means. What it means to you, what it means in the world, from an objective, from a subjective, right? Let's just leave all that kind of out of it, but more subjective, your experience. So when you drop Sinai in that funnel, boom, it makes Malchus look this way. And when you add, you know, your life history, and when you add your experiences and when you add your mood and when you add your colors and when you add the information that you've been given and you add the emotional experiences that you had and the mind states that you've been able to expand to and the conversations that you've had in your life, all of these things, they all filter down through Yisod or Yisod is this expression of it all coming together into your Malchus and now you are experiencing the world in that way. So you're bringing it down in one aspect, it's, it's perceptions and experience that you so it is what's my perception, what goes into my perception and what's now formulating my perception and Malchus would be my experience. That's one way of looking at it. One yeah. small aspect. Yeah. I was thinking in another way, it's also, um, you so it is how I relate to the world how I am acting upon the world, how I'm choosing to act upon the world, the, the frame that I choose to put to the world, whereas Malchus is how I respond to what's coming to me. In other words, I, and there's what comes to me in the way I, uh, the way I'm, and really that's why Malchus is referred to as, um, Anava is related to Malchus, right? Because well, I, I think that that's one step out, meaning... The first level is just my perceptions are making my reality. Then it's yeah. like, wait, I can also affect out the world and how the world affects me. There's, there's, there's concentric circles and, and layers up, upon this. Right, my that, inner reality, my outer reality. Exactly. And so we're going to constantly be relating to this, you know, in, in, in a very, let's say, in a way that you'd like to maybe make it like a very avoda dick, which has been this year for, you know, every year I kind of have different experiences. But this year... The week of Yisod, I keep on asking myself the question, what are you connected to? The Baal Shem Tev, when he, he uses different words for different spheros, the word he uses for Yisod is hiskashros, 
to be connected, kesher, with kesher. And so I keep on asking myself, Yehuda, what are you connected to right now? Because as a human being, I'm always connecting to something and that is going to make my reality, my, make my malchus be a certain way. So I keep on asking myself, what am I connected to now? What am I, what am I, cho- I can choose, I, I can say what I am connected to, or I can say, how do I choose to connect it? Or what do I want to connect to? How do I want to connect to that? And the more that I connect to those things, the more those things become foundational in what my experience is going to look like. So that's why Yisodas also means foundation, right? So the more that I connect, let's say I connect to the concept of my perceptions create reality. So now my perceptions are becoming much more foundational in what the reality is actually going to look like. And if I take it a step further, if I'm connecting to, uh, you know, to a certain person, so that person now is going to be more foundational in what my present reality and experience is going to look like. Somebody, if somebody who I, somebody who I connect to deeply makes a comment to me, positive or negative, it'll be much more foundational and therefore have a much more profound effect on me in my experience. So you saw it is, uh, is, is what am I connecting to? What are my perceptions? How do I, what are my filters for how I see the world? Right. And Malchus is then the story that's written with those filters and those perceptions. Right. And that's the aspect that we're using to... Yeah. It does sometimes flip, flip around. I just want to, if, we want, if we want to just leave it to get nice and confusing, we can. Um, let's not. <laughs> okay. Is it, I, I know where you're going with that, but let's not. <laughs> right, okay. It, it, because and these Yisod and Malchus experiences are, 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 are constantly, uh, like Rabbi Gerzi always loves to say, it's all arachin. It's all the relationship of where you're standing in any given yeah. moment. So, so sometimes a Yisod and Malchus experience in one second can flip around and suddenly you'll be like, wait, but I just read it over here that this is this. And like, yeah, because you're now standing over here. And once again, we're back to perceptions. Right. It's, well, it's like different tzaddikim. I mean, if you could talk about it in the idea of, 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 of Yosef and David, if Yosef was the one who created, who created reality for, for different things, there's one aspect of being the one who's in charge of creating the perceptions and who Hamashber, you're deciding what happens and where it happens and creating the realities on the ground. And then there's another tzaddik who says, instead of being in charge of perceptions, I'm going to be open. I'm going to be David. I'm going to be Malchus-like. I'm going to just, I'm going to let God decide what happens by being so open to him. Yet, being the Majbir is a very malucha dika thing, meaning very controlling. And David says also, Vahalacha imai, right? It says that the halacha always went the way that he paskened it. And David was the one who always, like, that he made the reality. The Melech is called the Acharaam because he is the. Def- so. These- right, but I was describing two different ways of doing it. Right. One I'm is. Saying, but even those two different ways can actually right, sometimes look the other way because Tzadik is be'emunasa yichya, right? Tzadik, sometimes he's completely on the level of bitl. I'm not doing anything, emuna. And the melech, Moshe, Lumanig, is the one who's saying how the law should be. Right, but then again, the king does not choose. It's not, it's not arbitrary. A true king is, is, is only based on the chachma, right? Right, so he's, and that's because on his only level, based he's on the responding input. to uh, in, a side input, but he's making, right. These, these, are, these are tough concepts, and especially when we start getting into talking about the ideas of Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, and, and right, you know. They constantly, like, 
they constantly share clothing. Yeah, Yosef, Yosef uh, and Yehuda. Meaning, this is the this is the, you know, this has been the epic journey of Yosef and Yehuda from the beginning of time. It's my, I mean, it's like the Eitz Adas, Eitz Achaim, almost. It's like it, there are these two opposing energies. Superman versus Batman. Right. Right. But it, it, <laughs> yeah. Have fun exploring all these topics because I know that we have. <laughs> you want to just tell everybody which one's Superman and which one's Batman? Well, but then you're going to tell me it's the other way around. No, I think that everybody agrees that Yosef is Superman and David is Batman. That's obvious. Come on. No. <laughs> what do you mean, no? Yosef is Batman. No, David is Batman. Yosef is Superman. Okay, how is he? Okay, tell you me your first. way. Are you serious? Yosef is Batman. Oh, I get it. But now how you're saying it. Oh, I hop your your understanding. I was saying Yosef is Batman because because Yosef doesn't actually have like the super power or anything. He is just making his reality and using all the different kochos of Chesed, Gevur, Teferis, Netzachayid to be able to create realities where he can then affect other people. Superman is just like, I'm... I'm not like a human. I'm just accepting this otherworldly divine energy and therefore I could just completely blow your mind. And you're saying it from the other side, which is that, which is that, um, no, you could say your side. I think I know, but. <laughs> no, I just always related to uh, this, this exotic, exotic who has superpowers, who's like, he's above, he's, he's, uh, he's incredible. And he can choose what goes on. He decides what happens. He makes the reality. He chooses what's going on. And then there's Batman, who is a regular guy. Batman's the guy who, who's in the hole. Batman is a, Batman is, is a person who's screwed up, but uses his, his screwed upness to become great. And as I, I look at it in the sense of Yosef is the tzaddik who didn't sin. He was put in the place and he did not sin. He's like Superman. He rises above. He doesn't sin. He's not, he's not human. He doesn't fall to the place of human. Whereas David Amalek is Kiviachel. David didn't sin, but yet he says, God, I'm going to sin and teach everyone how to do it. David's Batman. He's the guy. He's the one. He's the man of the people. He's like us. Batman had these horrific experiences of watching his parents die and, and, and then the, with the bats. And he's, he's messed up. He's, he's whack. You know, right. who dresses up like a bat and runs around at night? Like, that's nuts. But he takes his human flaws and his messed up in this and becomes great because of it. That's why I relate Batman to David. So that's awesome. But I see Yosef as Batman because he's the one who, on the outside, he's like playing with his hair. He's a playboy, getting along with everybody. But he does have this insane story where his father sends him off to get sold into slavery. What's going on? Why did my father do this? Like he could have responded in a different way and he goes and he has to work from in the dungeons and slowly climb out through using the, you know, this wisdom that he slowly begins to, to, to learn and, and, and get. And then he puts on this safnas paneach. He's putting on these masks and these things and he has to, on, on one hand, he's controlling things from behind the scenes as Bruce Wayne. You sound and- like you're describing Superman to me because Superman he came from, uh, you know, he came from the planet. What was that called? Krypton. And right. he was sent to somewhere else. It's like literally he was sent far away. He doesn't know who he is. He has to figure out what am I? Who am I? He's got these secret superpowers, but he can't really show it off. But he knows he's got it. And, um, you know, 
and he's got he's got to pretend that he's nobody. So he pretends he's Clark Kent. <laughs> I don't know, man. I All right. Know. Like you said, it could go both ways. Depends yeah, I, which. Uh, I actually which thought that we were both going to be agreeing on this one, like that. There's one regular way, and then maybe an older. But we completely. I guess this is a Yosef and Yehuda thing. No, but by there, the way, also there's so many different ways of looking at Yisod and Malchus that in yes. my head it was always like, in my head the pushit way that I learned from a kid even just was like two two different uh, types of tzaddikim, right? Right. When you fall into when we fall into a place, we fall into let's say a pit. So there's one tzaddik who will come, he'll stand at the top of the pit, he'll throw us a rope, and right. using his power, he'll pull us out. And then there's another tzaddik who jumps into the pit with us and says, watch, I'll show you how to climb out. And I always related the one on top was Yosef, who's throwing us the rope, but he's pulling us out from on top. And the one who jumps in the pit and shows us how to climb out is David, which is why I always related them to Superman and Batman, because Superman is like, he's not one of us. He's like a savior. He's going to come and he's going to like save the planet. He can do things that we can't because he's a tzaddik. He's got superpowers. How did he become a tzaddik? That's another story. But he's a tzaddik now. He's got powers that I don't have, but he can save me. I can go to Uman and uh, I, I say to Kalali and the tzaddik is going to save me. Whatever. He's going to great. Exactly. He's going to pull me out of Gehenim. And then there's the other tzaddikim who are like, you know, no, David Amal says, I'm going to teach the sinners, right? right. They'll watch me. I'm going to teach the world. I'm going to show them how to do tshuva. So I'm going to do the Avera, and then I'm going to show them how we can get up even after we screwed up. Which I always felt was very Batman-like, and which is why I always, I always loved Batman. I was never a Superman guy as a kid. I loved Batman because here's a, here's a person. Here's someone I can relate. I can't relate to Superman. Like, he's awesome. I love him. He saves the world, and he does super cool stuff. But I don't relate to him. Batman, I can relate to. And he's, here's a guy, he's messed up. And, and, he, and he has to play these different roles. On the one hand, he has to go out and pretend he's like this guy, but he's not. He's really, you know, we all relate to that. I relate to that. Like, you go out and you, you go to a party and you put on a smile. You know, even if you're not feeling like it, you go to show and you smile at people. But, like, you might be going through the craziest things inside, you know. So I always related to that, you know, and... I in Bichlal, I related to David Melech. As a kid, I, I, I pound stories of David Melech. Yeah. I love David Melech. To this day, he's my favorite character of all time. Wow, that was uh, that was that was amazing. And I think that, and just to flip it back, Mashiach ben Yosef is the one that paves the way for Mashiach ben David to come and sit on the throne. So in this way, we see that Mashiach ben Yosef is kind of doing the within the trenches work and Mashiach ben David is going to sit there on the forefront. And I think this is because there's an inner and an outer for Yisaid and an inner and an outer for Malchus. And the inner for one looks like the outer for the other and vice versa. And right, um, but when I, you say Yosef paves the way, in a sense, he paves the way, but he's not, it's not like, People look at Yosef as like the Chashavon, though. He started yes, out. Yes, but true. he was this never recognized. Meaning, he was never recognized. Like, and, and this is why you talk about Mashiach ben Yosef in, in the Svarim was always spoken about as people are not going to recognize his face. Like, like people are going to look at it and they're going to be like, could this even be Mashiach? Like, it, it looks too wrong, right? Like, all the brothers, they couldn't possibly imagine that this was Yosef. Because... This can't be Yosef because my perceptions, 
don't allow for this this reality. Like Batman can't be Bruce Wayne. It's not True, possible. Bruce Wayne is so is so self centered. He's so stuck up. I, I just I'll let, let you go. Right. So in that aspect, Batman himself has the Mashiach ben Yosef part of him, which is Bruce Wayne, and the Mashiach ben David part of him, which is Batman. Ah, see, so that's what I'm saying. So the outer and the inner, and I think this is this is part of. I think we're expressing in a beautiful way the idea that we started with that you need to have and need to be able to be flexible with your perceptions because yes. these things are so much bigger that any which way that we're going to spin it. It's really hard and you have to be able to be flexible and to be open and not to try to make these two things fit inside of you, but rather to make peace with paradox and peace with different struggles that we are in and understand that we're part of it, you know, like be, be okay with maybe not understanding everything. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's true. I mean, in this book, the master, you know, his whole book is about right brain versus left brain and there's different paradigms, different. Yeah, it's, it's very much Chachman. It's a fantastic book. But um, he talks about like, the, you know, the right brain way of looking at things and the left brain way, whether it's, you know, how we relate to things, different ways of how we relate to understanding the world. And he keeps having to make the point over and over in the book is that there is no right brain and left brain because they're always working together. Right. His one is a brain. It Shrey works Ray and the by pitting two sides. Exactly. But there's, there's two sides and they, and they work in different, but they're always working in concert. Right. So, you know, talk about Yisod and Malchus, like, yeah, they each have their aspects, but they're always working in concert. And so it's always about the relationship. And was, anytime you discuss them, you have to say, when we're discussing this aspect of Yisod, so then Malchus takes on this aspect. When we're discussing right. the other aspect of Yisod, Malchus takes on a different aspect to relate to it. It's like, what are you? Are you Yisod or Malchus? Ah, we're all both. We're all exactly. And if you can see the other side, then you ha- you're having a mirroring neur- neuron, which means that you're also that. Yep. Gewalt. Yako, right. this has been a really, really wonderful, I don't know how long we've been on, and a wonderful hour. Um, I just and- hope we're making sense. <laughs> <laughs> or at least that it's entertaining. <laughs> Look, I just hope that our perceptions aren't so narrow that other people don't watch us and go, what the heck are they talking about? Thank you for listening and have a beautiful, beautiful day. Be blessed.